0: We're going to be uh, just looking at a number of different texts today and sort of a, a Bible study approach this morning. Uh, so we will look at those as they come um, along. Uh, as we prepare to hear God's word this morning, though, would you please close your eyes and pray with me? Lord, as we pause for a moment to hear from you as we very intentionally and specifically listen. Lord, would you help us today to, in our listening, be formed by your Spirit. As we think about what it means for us to be the sent ones, as we think about what it means for us to be church on mission, help us, Lord, today to think about how we are formed for that mission and what it is that we bring with us. Lord, thank you for your living word. May it be life for us today. Amen. So, the purpose of an experiment is to learn something. And the call of a disciple is to be a learner. Disciple means a learner. And so part of what we do as disciples is to try to learn new things. And as many of you know, uh, we have uh, this uh, year been involved with an experiment uh, that we've been calling Fifth Sunday. And as we've engaged in that experiment, uh, it's done what experiments are designed to do. It's been teaching us some things. Uh, Some of the things are things that we wanted to learn, uh, and some of the things we're surprised to learn. Uh, I've already shared with you that one of the things that we learned from the Fifth Sunday Experiment is that there is a whole diversity of thinking about what does it mean to be a missional church. There's a, a sort of fogginess and fuzziness about what missional really looks like. And so this summer, we've been uh, trying over the course of uh, uh, the summer to get a little bit more clarity, to begin a little bit more of a conversation together about what does it mean for us to be missional? What does it look like to be missional? And if you haven't been here consistently through the summer, uh, uh, there will be plenty of opportunities to, to pick up that conversation and dig in and do the work of getting some clarity about what missional looks like. One of the other things, though, that we learned in our fifth Sunday experiment uh, that is also connected to what it means for us to be a missional church and what it is that we bring with us on mission uh, was a surprising thing. And one of the things that we learned uh, in our fifth Sunday experiment is that not only is there a diversity of viewpoints in thinking about what does it mean to be missional, but there's also a, a diversity of viewpoints about what Sabbath is all about. And this morning, I want to do with you just a little bit of a Bible study on what Sabbath is all about as we think about being a missional church. Now, as we kind of look through the landscape of thoughts and views about Sabbath, uh, for some of us here, uh, one of the primary responses to the idea of a fifth Sunday is really visceral, it's really uh, quick, uh, it's really deep, and it's basically, you can't do that, right? Uh, If this Sunday has work involved, you can't do that. You can't work on Sunday. And that's a deep view, that's a deep view of the Sabbath, It's a deep view of uh, what it means to practice Sabbath. Uh, It's a view that says you have to be uh, in a sanctuary, you have to listen to a sermon, you have to sing some songs, you have to pray together all of that is good but primarily what sabbath means is you don't do any work right it's one of the 10 commandments and what i want to say is i have tons of sympathy for that view i have tons of sympathy for that view this is the world that i grew up in this is the world that formed and shaped who i am today right i have a ton of sympathy for that it's i grew up in a i grew up in a home where there was a list as long as my arms about what you could and couldn't do on Sunday, right? I don't know if some of you grew up in homes like that, right? And in our house, when, when I was growing up, you, some, some of the things that we did, uh, you had to keep on Sunday clothes, right? Uh, you, 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 you just dressed nicer on Sunday than you did the rest of the week. Uh, on, on Sunday, uh, you didn't play rough, right? There were sort of, a, right, no, nobody could really define what rough housing was, but uh, you knew it when you crossed the line, right? You could play gently, but not rough, right? So no rough play. Uh, you didn't do any sports on Sunday. Uh, you didn't uh, do any routine work on Sunday, right? I can remember uh, sort of driving along through the neighborhood, and and every once in a while, somebody who didn't know any better was out mowing their lawn or washing their car on Sunday, right? And the whole tenor in our car, right, could just feel, it's like, oh, You know, drive fast past that house before lightning strikes, right? Uh, You just didn't do that on Sunday. Uh, You washed your car on Saturday so that it would look good for everybody on Sunday, but you never washed your car on Sunday. And you didn't eat any meals out, right? Uh, Going out to restaurants was forbidden. Uh, We didn't go out to eat on Sunday. Uh, not because eating is prohibited, but because you don't spend money on Sunday, and you don't want to be the cause of somebody else having to work on Sunday, right? So we just stayed, you know, we we ate at home on Sunday. And I'll never forget the very first time, it's it's just seared into my conscience, right? It's seared in there. The very first time I had become friends with uh, our pastor's son. I was in fourth grade, and um, we were going to go back to his house after church one Sunday. We got into the car, And my pastor, fourth grade Michael, pastor drives me to Arby's. I was like, you can't do this. This, You can't do this. You don't eat out on Sunday, right? This is just not done, right? You don't eat out. Uh, And and there's a ton of focus on family time, right? Sunday is, how how many of you have said that? I've heard that since thousands of times. Sunday is family day, right? Sunday is family day. All kinds of views about keeping the rules on Sunday. And I have a lot of sympathy for that. Now, on the other hand, there's a whole swath of folks here who would say, you know what, <laughs> I just don't get that at all, right? That makes absolutely no sense to me at all. With everything that I have to do and all of the demands that I have in life, you know, soccer tournaments, um, meals out, ho- household chores, travel, and all of those things have to just routinely be a part of every single day right? Uh, there's th- this, this, this antiquated idea of just sitting around for a whole day doesn't make any sense. It seems bizarre. It seems incomprehensible, and it seems incompatible with a fast, full, modern life. And so what I want to say is looking at both of those sides of Sabbath keeping, right? The side that says there are lots of rules that we have to observe, and the side that says It's absolutely antiquated, right? It's irrelevant, Sabbath-keeping. Why would I do that? Both of those sides, what I want to say is, uh, both of those sides are culture responses and not biblical responses. In other words, having a whole system of rules and regulations for what Sabbath-keeping looks like really is largely influenced by a church culture. And church culture always pushes us towards the rules. It always pushes us towards who keeps what rules, and rule-keeping or rule-following or not is what decides who's in and who's out. Human beings always push in that direction. And then on the other hand, there's a culture that says you always have more to do. You're, you, you, it's up to you. You have to get more done. You have to produce. You have to succeed. You have to, to grow. You have to expand. And that, that constant drive for more and better and, and the pursuit of, of, uh, of activity is also a culturally conditioned belief. And what we want to do is to say, look, it isn't so much that one view of the Sabbath is a big view of the Sabbath, right? It's really big. It's really important and the other view of the Sabbath is a small view of the Sabbath, what we want to say is both of these views are too small. And the biblical view of what Sabbath really is, is bigger than both of them. So that's what we want to look at today. As we press into, live fully, what God has for us in this really important idea of Sabbath. So what is this gift of Sabbath all about? Uh, beyond simply being the word for rest, uh, Sabbath is really a significant term that we find all through the Scriptures. And we want to survey some of the highlights uh, in the Scripture today. Uh, The Sabbath has its origins uh, in the law, right? So if you think about where does the idea of keeping Sabbath begin, uh, we find it originally uh, in the law of Moses. So if you look uh, for a moment at Exodus 20, uh, this is where Moses uh, brings the Ten Commandments to the people. So this is it, commandment number four, uh, Exodus 20, verse 8. Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days a week are set apart for your daily duties and regular work. But the seventh day is a day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any kind of work, and that includes you, your sons, your daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock, and any foreigners living among you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. Then he rested on the seventh day. And that is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. So Moses brings this concept, this idea of Sabbath in the Ten Commandments. So as we uh, think about that, uh, the idea becomes that since God ceased his activity on the seventh day, and God stopped working on the seventh day, so you should too, right? So you should too. And so what that does is over time, as the Hebrew people began to figure out what does that mean to not work on the seventh day, uh, all sorts of rules started to build up, right? Right? Uh, like barnacles attaching to the hull of a boat. Uh, The rules just keep building up and building up, and and, uh, they become extraordinarily detailed, right? Very, very precise, very, very specific. How far can you walk? How many steps can you go? How much can you lift? How much exertion is okay? But what happened as all of these very minute and specific details began to build up is that the heart of the Sabbath is completely lost, right? So, so instead of pursuing and enjoying and experiencing the heart of God's gift of Sabbath, now what we have is a, a, a burden of rules under which people are laboring. And when that happens, right, when you abstract the rules out of the, 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 or the original heart, what you end up with uh, is, is really an absurdity. You really end up with an absurdity. And the absurdity comes to full fruit in John. Uh, Look at John uh, chapter 9, verse 16. Uh, Start at verse 14. Jesus in this story has just healed a blind man. Stop and think about that for a minute. Jesus has restored the sight of somebody who was born blind. So the very first time this individual suddenly sees color, He sees the faces of those around him who love him. He sees his community. He sees the landscape that God's here. For the very first time, this man can see. And Jesus has done this. It's an astonishing miracle. And then in verse 14, John writes this, Now, as it happened, Jesus had healed the man on a Sabbath. And the Pharisees asked the man all about it. So he told them, He smoothed the mud over my eyes, and when it washed away, I could see. And here it is, verse 16. So some of the Pharisees said, See, this man Jesus is not from God. This man Jesus is not from God, for he is working on the Sabbath. What have they done? What have the Pharisees done? They have taken the, the, the abstraction of the Sabbath, they've taken the rules and the, the, the regulations of Sabbath, and made them the ultimate goal. They've elevated them to the point that they can even no longer recognize Jesus who a little bit later will call himself the Lord of the Sabbath. In their pursuit of Sabbath life, they are preparing to kill the author of life. Taking the rules out of the heart leads to absurdity. So look at uh, Mark chapter 2. If you flip back, you can see that discussion that Jesus has of the Sabbath. Instead of being concerned with rules and regulations... On the one hand, and instead of just simply jettisoning the idea and the value of Sabbath on the other hand, Jesus captures something entirely different. And this is what Jesus says. Uh, look at Mark 2, verse 23. One Sabbath day, and in just a little bit we're going to talk about why is it that Jesus is always doing this on Sabbath days? Right? Why is he always picking the Sabbath day to do these things? One Sabbath day, Jesus was walking along through some grain fields. His disciples began breaking off heads of wheat. But there they are, the Pharisees, said to Jesus, they shouldn't be doing that. It's against the law to work on, uh, har- by harvesting grain on the Sabbath day. But Jesus said, haven't you ever read in the scriptures where King David did what King David did when he and his companions were hungry? He went into the house of God during the days when Abathar uh, was high priest. He ate the special bread reserved for the priests alone and then gave some to his companions. That was breaking the law too. Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made to benefit people and not people to benefit the Sabbath. And I, the Son of Man, am Master, or Lord, even of the Sabbath. So what Jesus is saying is, the Sabbath is not about rules and regulations that become a burden, a constriction, the weight of death. And Sabbath is not something that you just simply... uh, throw away as frivolous and meaningless but he says rather this is a gift god has designed sabbath god has designed rest to be a gift to you and for you so what he's saying is that sabbath is intended to serve the needs of god's creation and not the other way around so what is the heart of the sabbath what is it that we're looking at we miss the heart of the Sabbath if we reduce it just simply to rules and regulations, do's and don'ts. And we also miss it if we live our life at full throttle and never pause for a moment. We miss it in both cases. What is the heart that Jesus wants both of us to find? And this is uh, all the way back in Genesis chapter 2. All the way back in Genesis chapter 2. This is the uh, second version of the creation story and look at what this actually says. Now I'm going to read it not out of the NLT. I'm going to read it for you out of a little bit more literal translation that captures the flavor of the Hebrew here just a little bit more carefully. Listen really carefully to this Genesis chapter two in heaven and earth and all of their array were finished. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all of the work that he had done. And God blessed the seventh day. He sanctified it, because on it he rested from all of his work of creating that there was to do. So did you hear that? Pay pay really careful attention to what the text actually says. It's worth noting that the text doesn't say that God finished his work on the sixth day. But what the text says is that God finished his work on the seventh day. On the seventh day, God finished his work. And then he rested from all of the work of creating that he had done. So here's what I want you to try on. Try on the possibility that the seventh day is the day of God's completing work. The seventh day is the day of God's finishing work, of God's finishing work. The sixth day represents sort of the culmination of what we could call creaturely possibilities, right? Think about everything that's come up to the sixth day. And, you know, here you have human beings who are subduing the earth and filling it. They are being creative. They're being fruitful and multiplying. It's, it's, it's sort of the fullness of their creaturely capacity to live within the creation that God has established. And you have birds doing bird things and lizards doing lizard things and you have animals scurrying around and doing animal things. You've got fruit trees and you've got all of the plants and all of the fullness of creation. Sort of on the sixth day, we come to the full pinnacle of what is possible within creation. Everything is there. And then on the seventh day, we have not the Possibility of creaturely uh, p- possibility, but now we have what only God can do. On the seventh day, the seventh day represents the possibilities and the creative conclusion that only God can provide. So jot this down if you're taking notes today. Here's the sentence that I want you to write down: The Sabbath represents God's ministry. Of restoration and renewal. The Sabbath represents God's ministry of restoration and renewal. See, it's not the cessation of God's activity. Jesus says really clearly in John's Gospel that God is always at work. Jesus says God is always working. And the psalmist says that God never slumbers or sleeps. It's why Jesus uh, when he is uh, engaged with people, is always healing on the Sabbath day. Because it's on the Sabbath day that he's representing God's ministry of restoration and renewal. On the Sabbath day is when God feeds his disciples grain. On the Sabbath day is when he restores sight. On the Sabbath day is when he causes somebody who's lame to walk again. Over and over and over again, Jesus is demonstrating that on the Sabbath day, we experience what only God can bring. We experience God's completion, God's finishing, God's answer, God's response. The Sabbath is God's gift of finishing work. God is bringing everything to the conclusion that only God could bring. So let's see this uh, just a little bit more clearly. Some of you don't quite believe me yet. I'm going to show you that this is the actual ministry of Sabbath. So where are the people when they get the Ten Commandments. What's happened so far, right? Where where are they standing? They're at Sinai, they're out in the wilderness, and they've just come out of Egypt, right? So stop and think about that for a minute. There's a lot of human history that has already been lived from the time of creation, from Adam and Eve, all the way to the point where Moses comes back with the Ten Commandments. There's a lot of human history in there. And from that time that Adam and Eve are created to the time that Moses comes down from the the mountain, there is no such thing as a Sabbath day. Right? There is no special day that's set aside. There's no Sabbath observance. There are no rules or regulations. There's nothing like that. There's no Sabbath day for all of that human history because the law hasn't been given yet. Nobody has thought to write that down. Nobody has, has made that a part of the pattern of living yet. So for all of that history, there's no Sabbath day. And then in the more immediate history, what's going on? The Hebrew people are enslaved in Egypt. And the enslavement in Egypt is brutal. And if you read through that story in Exodus again about what it was like to live under the conditions of slavery, you would see that the writer of Exodus goes to great lengths to to, to demonstrate how profoundly the people of God were at the mercy of their slave drivers. They're just at the mercy of forces that they cannot control. And there's a a story in there where where Moses comes back and he he knows that he is supposed to be the leader of God's people. And so uh, sort of with all of his sixth Day, creaturely capacity he stands up to the people and he says okay now come together around me and we're going to take off we're going to get out of here and the people listen to Moses and for just the act of listening to Moses what happens to them right the Egyptians double down on their work Right? They, they, uh, the decree is now that, uh, now instead of making uh, uh, bricks with straw that we provide, you're going to have to go out and cut your own straw and harvest your own straw. I and mean, you still have to make the same quota of bricks. You have to work harder. You have to work longer. That's the, that's the best that sixth day capacity has. It's really, really clear as we read through Exodus that there is no human solution To their enslavement. There's no human solution to their enslavement. If they're going to find rest, if they're going to find release, if they're going to find Sabbath, it's going to come from God's hand. And then God delivers them, and they find rest. And now they're in the wilderness. And once again, they find that they're at the mercy of forces and powers that they cannot control. Once again, they find themselves uh, in this brutal fight, right? They're fighting against the elements. They're fighting against the forces of nature. They're fighting for food. They're scratching out a living. They have physical fatigue. And day after day after day is this brutal grind of trying to survive in the Sinai wilderness. And once again, they're at at the mercy of all of these forces. And all of these demands that just seem to keep growing and growing and growing. And there's no human way to escape them. And then Moses comes down. And he says, God has a better idea. Here's my idea for rest. Every, at the end of the sixth day, he says, I want you to rest. I want you to rest in me. And at the end of the sixth day, the sun sets and the Israelite stands up tall, shrugs off the burdens of the wilderness, turns his back on the forces that want to dominate and control him, turns away from every task that enslaves him. And he says, for the next 24 hours, you have no control over me. 24 hours, I am liberated from the bondage to this wilderness existence, to this unfriendly world. Now, for these hours, for this day, I stand under God's presence and God's power. Can you imagine, after living for centuries with no Sabbath, after living in Egypt with no Sabbath, after experiencing the, bru- the brutal conditions of wilderness life with no rest, can you imagine the breath of fresh air? Can you imagine the gift of grace that this Sabbath would have been to the Israelites in the wilderness? It's God's ministry of restoration. It's God's ministry of renewal. The Sabbath looks back to the liberation of the Hebrews from Egypt. In Deuteronomy 5, we read this. Moses says, Remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and that the Lord your God brought you out of there by a mighty hand. Only God can do it. right? Only God's finishing work. Only God's outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Now, Moses is connecting the Sabbath day not to creation, but to the liberation from Egypt. And the Sabbath day is a reminder that only God could set you free. Only God can set you free. Only God can deliver you. Only God can give you rest. The seventh day is God's ministry of restoration and renewal. But that Sabbath also looks forward to an ultimate and final liberation, the final finishing work of God that we have in Christ. Colossians 2, 17 tells us this, the Sabbath is a shadow of things to come. The Sabbath is a shadow of things to come, but the substance is Christ. Do you know the difference between the shadow and the substance? The shadow fades away. The substance endures. We don't build our lives on the shadow. We build our lives on the substance, which Paul says in Colossians is Christ. The Sabbath was a shadow of the redemption that would be ultimately provided in Christ. It's a, it symbolized the rest from our works in an entrance into God's rest that is provided by his finished work on the cross. So that's why Jesus can say that he is the Lord of the Sabbath. The Sabbath has been pointing to him all along. And since it's a shadow, Paul can say in Romans 8, literally he says, one person prefers one day over another day, and another person regards every day alike. Each one must be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who is intent on the day is intent on it for the Lord. In other words, the day doesn't matter for Paul. The shadow doesn't matter for Paul. He says, whatever day you pick, whatever pattern you pick, however it is that you remind yourself that you depend on God's finishing work, that you can rest in God's finishing work, however that works for you, Paul says, is fine. The day doesn't matter. So for those of us who want to primarily make Sabbath about a list of do's and don'ts, And for those of us who think that any form of Sabbath is absolutely irrelevant, what we find is that what's at stake here is much more than just a simple lazy day of the week if you have time for it. What's at stake here is liberation and rescue. It's restoration and renewal and recreation. It's a taste of the finished work of Jesus that we begin to experience in our own lives today. And as we over and over and over again come to the end of ourselves, as we come to the end of ourselves, right, as we realize the limitations of being sixth day creatures, as we realize that we don't have the resources to solve the problem, we don't have the the solution to let us escape, we come to the end of ourselves and we have to finally and only rest in the seventh day finishing work of God. And I am practicing Sabbath every time I'm receiving the gift of Sabbath any time, any day, any moment when I finally realize that working harder and longer and more anxiously and more frantically that doing that is not the way to bring completion to my life instead I stop and I experience the finishing work of God I experience Sabbath when I experience my own helplessness. Have you ever felt helpless? Have you ever felt limited? Have you ever felt empty? I experience Sabbath whenever I come to my own helplessness, my own captivity that I can't escape from. And I experience that not as defeat, but rather as good news. When I experience my helplessness as good news, because it's in that moment that finally I rest in God's finishing work, we begin to experience the gift of Sabbath that the seventh-day Sabbath has always and ever been pointing us towards. And as we begin to experience that in our own lives, what does that mean for us on mission? It means that what we bring on mission is not just our sixth day capacity. We're not bound by what we can manage, or what we can figure out, or what we can set free. Rather, we bring the finishing work of God. We bring God's rest. We bring God's completion. We bring all of God's resources, the resources that only God can bring. And so one theologian put it this way. The ministry of the Sabbath is God's ministry now expressed through Jesus Christ that seeks to relieve humans from oppression, pain, abuse, injustice, and everything that dehumanizes persons. The discipline of the Sabbath is our conformity to Christ as disciples who have ourselves experienced the first fruits of Sabbath rest in our own healing and then seek the renewal and restoration of others as those whom God loves and seeks to redeem from the abyss. We're called to be Sabbath people. We're called to be people who have experienced in our souls, deep in our hearts and bones, the healing work, the restoration work of God, the work that sets us free that we could not and cannot and will not do on our own. And as we experience that freedom and healing, we have God to share with those around us. Would you pray with me, please? Lord Jesus, as we uh, sit here today,